right when you don't know what to do just keep on breathing from the city of angels in los angeles welcome to all my listeners out there in radio lane i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com along with my lovely co-host who hasn't made it yet but she's coming former mayor of a california beach town and best-selling author debbie peterson we call her uh mayor debbie also coming to you live and on demand 24 7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio video platforms including iHeartRadio, itunes youtube speaker soundcloud vimeo i mean the list goes on and on and in fact we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on player fm and number two caregiver podcast on feedspot and number two on caringvillage.com and we have an especially exciting show planned for you today nancy and robert rugert is well i'll talk about nancy first she's a survivor of stage four ovarian cancer and metas i I have trouble with this word metastatic metastatic thank you i was putting the syllable on the wrong syllable metastatic brain cancer (laughs) and i hope i'll never learn how to pronounce that word because it's too close to me uh among other traumatic events as a wellness and relationship coach She's helped hundreds of people navigate life's challenges and opportunities through individual sessions, group seminars, and as a guest speaker. And her wonderful son, I was going to call her husband, but no, she's her wonderful son, Robert Rugert, left his job in finance to help write his book, or this book, actually, alongside his mom, Nancy, to inspire and empower caregivers based on his own experiences caregiving for his mom and his grandfather and his wife. And during Nancy's cancer journey, Robert shared his gifts of playing piano and singing, making theirs the most popular ward in the hospital. <laughs> it goes to show how music can heal the soul. And so before we get to the show, I do want to thank my last week's guest, Shamika Baptist. She's the author and inspirational speaker behind The Strength Within. She is a young woman that grew up in the foster care system, and she shares her story of resilience in hope of providing others the courage to persevere in life, regardless of the trials and tribulations you're facing. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one here at caregiverdave.com, our website, or any of our other other 26 global audio and video platforms that I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. Welcome to the show, Robert and Nancy. Thank you. Yeah, I always like to ask my guests just who is Robert and Nancy Rugert and why were they placed on this earth? We'll start with Robert first. Why were you sure. placed on this earth? Robert? Why was I placed on this earth? I love teaching people things and I love helping people. I, I just love um, introducing people to new things and and like finding out what people love to do. That that Those are my favorite things. Um I, I try to do it as often as possible. I, I did it, you know, during my mom's cancer journey, during my wife and, and grandfather's cancer journeys as well. Um, I play piano for them, play them the songs that they love to hear, the songs that they love to sing along to. I, you know, make cocktails for people. I uh, just like whatever, whatever, 
whatever things I enjoy, I like sharing with others and and hope that they do the same for me. And I'm going to jump in. We rock climb together and Robert naturally, it doesn't matter who is around, he will find someone, whether young or old, and help them where they're at. And just innately, he gives them wonderful feedback and cheers them on in such a natural cheerleader. And you'll see them get to the top, whether they thought they could or not. And it's it's remarkable. He doesn't realize he just does it all the time. So it's a gift. And, and I wish everybody is watching the video as opposed to the audio because uh, the love that you have in your eyes when he was speaking and you're just talking and just beaming <laughs> uh, a mother's love. Yes. <laughs> and so, Nancy, why don't you take your turn and tell us why was Nancy put on this earth? Dave, I believe I was meant to be on this earth to help people become the best selves. I really love it to meet people where they're at and find out what it is that's their obstacles in the way and where they want to be and discover where they want to be and help them in scaffold. I love using scaffolding. I have my master's in education and, and a reading specialist degree. And I've always found that no matter what, where you are in life, it's always lovely to have someone being your cheerleader and helping you see your story and how far you can go. So that's what I Amen love. Amen to that. Yeah. So let's get to some of the questions here. How how do we ask for help, not just for your warrior, but also for yourself? And we're talking about caregivers because my audience are burned out caregivers who have trouble asking for help. They have trouble putting their needs first and all that stuff. Um, but, before, you know, before I do that, I want to ask the question because I don't think I've ever had a a, a son and mother caregiver um, relationship on the show before, believe it or not. I'm sure it happens, but it must. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but they've never written a book together and so on. How did this? Ha- Let's start with how it is that you needed a caregiver and how it was that your son stepped up to the plate. Great. Uh- my story began in fall of 2015, and I I had a super life. I was busy and active and doing my wellness relationship coaching and traveling and biking, and everything was great. But I, oh. I realized in 2015 that something was wrong with me. I was dealing with a lot of constipation, pain in my abdomen. And so I contacted my OBGYN of 25 years and asked for an emergency visit and he ran a couple of tests, found nothing wrong, and announced me healthy. And I hate I when they do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so do I. <laughs> Seven months forward, I'm still struggling with pain. Haven't shared with anyone, my children, no one, what I'm really going through. And the summer of 2016, I turned to a friend and I said, I've got to go to the ER. Something is wrong with me. And the ER doctor on call did a little test and said, you know, I'm discharging you. You're fine. And I finally said, let's work together. Something's really wrong with me. He did a CT scan for me and gave me the diagnosis of ovarian cancer. So so why did it take pushing to get it done? I mean, the insurance companies don't want to pay for a CT scan. I, yeah, C- CT scans are like, they're a little bit dangerous. They, there's a lot of radiation involved in them because it's it's a bunch of x-rays. Uh, so they are dangerous for the average person. And uh, ovarian cancer doesn't often show up on uh, ultrasound, unfortunately. And so they ran the, you know, the normal tests that they have, ultra, ultrasound and, and pap smear and stuff like that. 
and nothing came up because it's not going to most of the time. And I'd like to jump in and say, you know, this is one of the things we open with my book is, you know, they call ovarian cancer the silent killer. And I wonder if just that no one's listening. Yeah. Yeah. So. I wonder what the reason is why it doesn't show up in a ultrasound. And if that's the case, why in the world do they do an ultrasound? You know, and whatever risk. I mean, I've had several CT scans because I've had uh, surgery on my ankle and we keep trying to see if... Uh, bone is growing so i mean uh one ultrasound isn't going to kill you because it's just a little bit of radiation and so yeah. on and i mean who knows how much radiation we're getting outside in the real world so True, why, yeah. why do they depend on an ultrasound if it doesn't really work <laughs> i i would guess oh. that it catches i would guess that it catches other things i mean they, they clearly do catch other things i'm, I'm not a doctor though so i i, I uh well, see, I'm a businessman, and I, I choose to be skeptical yeah. and cynical and say, it's because they don't want to pay for a CAT scan. It, well, it's absolutely because they don't want to pay for a CAT scan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. We don't want to bash the insurance companies here, but, you know. But while we've got the time. <laughs> that's another show. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, we got off track here. Did I, did a little answer, bit. A little you answered bit. my that's question, okay. right? So, yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, so, And then my the mom, second part, how is it that... Right. Recently diagnosed with, because uh, did you have a family? Did you have a wife? I mean, did you have a life of yourself? You were in the financial. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I had a a wife. I I was a you know creator at a hedge fund for a decade. Um, Did it do well? By the way, (laughs) I I did. I did well enough to uh, to take some time off to write this book. (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't full time caregiver when he when I ovarian cancer, but he has taken off and helped me write this book. That's full time. I, but, I was but I, I was a caregiver for a long time. For a long um, time, long time. I can't but get I over. I can't get over how young you look, Nancy. I mean, I just uh, I'm doing the math now. You would have to be in your 60s, and you just don't look that. You don't. You she are. You are just so amazing, Dave. I just so great. <laughs> While we're asking ages, how old is your son? I'm 33. 33. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm 61. So like, oh my God, she told the truth. I do with my age. I'm, are you kidding me? I am she's so proud people. of it. My my yeah. wife is 79 and she's proud of it. She brags about it. Love that. People, you know, yeah, that's, and I'm that's 69 because, you know, she robbed, she robbed the cradle. When I was <laughs> 21 and she was 31. And that's so, great. Uh, we look good too. She doesn't look, I mean, she still kind of looks like that picture there. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And I you still look, look like this, you know, and yeah. people you tell me great. I don't look like 69, but uh, they're no. Uh, you know, good genes and Jesus, I guess, you know, <laughs> you look great. You look great. Staying fit and happy and you both yeah. Good. All right. Thank so you. should we go back to the story? No, Always interrupting. <laughs> no, I We're going it. on a wild spiral here. We're all here for it. It's all right. It is great. It is great. But here I was in the hospital, just diagnosed with ovarian cancer and I'm stuck in the hospital for a week while they, try to gather a team of eight surgeons so uh, yeah um. so so she's she's stuck in a hospital um she has such uh, an intense cancer like her cancer ranged from uh like her pelvis all the way up to the uh, bottom of her diaphragm and her lungs and she needed a lot of surgeons to get involved i think she had, you had stage one two three four and this was late stage three cancer um called- that later we found out was actually stage four uh, when it metastasized her brain uh, a few years later. So what does your, your doctor say when he says, Oh, oops, I look, guess I missed it. You know, you could have been getting treatment seven months earlier. 
It's you know what? Really gets man. It, yeah. it does. What I've learned though is that in order to move forward, you you gotta let things go. Yeah, yep. that's true. Yeah. My wife would have had a stroke if they would have just, you know, done the right thing and checked for this and checked for that and give her her the clot busting drug. But you know, uh, you, you can't cry over spilled milk. Everything right. for a reason. You move forward. Yeah, we're yeah. we're here now, moving forward. Um, so she's stuck in in a hospital room for a week while her surgeon gathers mm. a team of other specialists, and it's this, you know white pristine like not friendly room at all with whirs beeps and clicks and stuff like that from all the machines um and and here's this you know wonderful woman who is at her very sickest you know lying in pain in a in a hospital bed and it just doesn't it doesn't feel like a healing environment um so my sisters and i like got to work trying to make it a more welcoming space. Uh, we brought in some plants from her home, grabbed some of her favorite possessions, her like blanket and pillows and this old like Tigger stuffed animal that she's had since she was five. Um, that is, uh, you know, looking very loved, <laughs> let's say. Uh, and, and it still wasn't quite enough. It, it, it was a lot, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. Um, and, I decided that the thing that was bothering me, me the most about the room was the noise. Just it, it sounded like that stereotypical sound that you, you know, when, whenever you're watching a movie and someone's on their deathbed or something, it was, it's that noise just constantly, you know, like I said, whirs, beeps, clicks, like all, all of those noises that you associate with life-saving devices that make you feel like you're about to die, I guess. Uh, and, and that was something that I really wanted to fix. So I decided that was the thing that I could fix. Uh, I've been playing piano since I was three-ish um, and singing. I sing acapella and stuff like that. And like, I can, I can bring my gift to this room. Wow. Very uh, talented. So, uh, that they well, loved you in the hospital ward. Yeah. So, so uh, my dad and I went to a local music store, uh, called them up on our way. They were closing. We're like, Hey, we need to make a last minute purchase. We're just going to come in and buy a piano and leave. Like, okay, we can stay open for like a half hour for that. Um, we, we grab an electric piano, confidently march it through the halls of the hospital, just people like staring us as we go, um, and, and just walk it into a room. And, uh, for the next week, I played piano for four hours a day, sometimes more. Um, and I think it was amazing. I, you could see, you could see like her, um, demeanor improve. It, you could tell that she sure. felt like, like fighting more. I would like to say it's one of the greatest gifts of my life. You know, I really, I was, they had to, I had a lot of ascites and they had to give me two more procedures before the big operation. And I was done. I was, I was super depressed to say the least. I, you know, as you said, you're sitting there angry and, and you can't believe that this is what you've been put through for seven months, but no one gave you the information that they should have ran the test. And bringing in those pillows and bringing in the blankets and bringing in my tigger and then having music fill the air and having, you know, doctors and nurses joined in to sing with us. And it wasn't just me. They were saying that all the patients were, they were the happiest they've been. And we were like the most popular ward in the whole hospital, yeah. really, truly. That's but, true. you know, that's, that's a gift a caregiver can give. And I'd love you to share with, if you don't mind, like, we've discussed this before. Like what if someone isn't a singer and doesn't have a piano to bring in the into the, listen to me. I said a hotel, cause that's what it felt like, but into the hospital room. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, 
not everyone is musically talented, but everyone has a talent. Everyone has something that they love, right? You can you can share your passions with your caregiver. Like it's so important to remind them why they're fighting, right? I think I think that's huge when someone's you know going through the worst moments of their life. You need to have a rise on debt, right? You need to have a, a reason for being. You need to have something that you're fighting for, and and it's it's what you know, it's whatever yeah. makes us human. It's, it's it's the things we love. And you can share them with your your loved ones um, or like whatever, bring in a joke book or Mad Libs or something like that. Uh, like, <laughs> like make them laugh, you know? But now you were a part-time caregiver, right? You weren't the full-time? Uh, yeah. I, so I think I think what we did that most people that I, I know who go through cancer um, and, and some of the things don't do very well is we did a phenomenal job of sharing the workload. Uh, so asking you know, for help. Which is yeah, really exactly. hard asking, for a caregiver asking, to do. It's so was hard. It hard for you? Uh it it was hard. My my mom has shown me how to do it my entire life. Uh and and so I I, I do have an excellent role model <laughs> for that. Um but like, you know, the average person has seven friends or something like that. But it turns out the average person's friends have more friends than them. So the average person's friend group actually has like 70 friends. And and you know, you're not going to get yeses from all of them. Uh, you're going to get no's from most of them, in fact. But if you if you get you know yeses from twenty percent of those people, you know you if you just ask your friends, you've got one and a half people helping you. And if ask if you ask your friends to ask your friends, then you've got fourteen people helping you. And and suddenly, wow. you know what is a full time job becomes you know what four hours a week, six hours a week, eight hours like so, something manageable, something that you know I I was probably helping out. 10, 15 hours a week, something like that, which is, which is not nothing, but it's two hours after work every day. And then, and then, you know, an extra long session on Saturday and Sunday or something like that, maybe, maybe 20, whatever, but it's still, still like a very manageable workload. Um, whereas I've seen people, you know, uh, full-time caregivers, uh, it, it's just really, it's really tough to be a full-time caregiver. I'm, I'm sure you, you obviously know that. Um, yes. Did you suffer uh, any burnout uh, in what you were doing or st- I, step back and say, well, you know, I got to manage my time better or something like that. I think, I think we, it, it was very clear to see how I could have and how any of us could have, but I think we started off so well that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of help. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, my, my sisters and I, uh, were, were the big ones and, and, yeah. you know, like it's not just, uh, being able like being able to not spend, you know, 40, 60, 80 hours a week helping this, your loved one. Um, it's, you know, w- when you can reduce that to 20 or 30 or something like that, like that, that's a big weight off your shoulders. It's also having those other caregivers to talk with about things, having, yeah. having that like release gasket for your emotions is, is huge. So, so many, so many caregivers tell me that uh, when I say, well, have you asked for help? Say, Nobody will help me, you know? Uh, and they just have this mindset that uh, they've tried to ask and, and uh, nobody will help them. You know, their siblings won't help them. Their friends won't help them. Their church won't help them. Uh, are they doing something wrong? I mean, I, is there a way to ask for help? How do you, how do you ask for help? You know, you know, I'd like to jump in because yeah. um, his sisters, my daughters, were phenomenal caregivers as well. And for instance, um, two things about that. Uh, I'd like to say that when my one of my daughters, who's going to through law school at the time, she actually volunteered 
She changed her schedule so she had Wednesdays because I had to have chemo sessions every single Wednesday for months on end. So she changed her schedule and she volunteered to help me on Wednesdays do <sighs> chemo sessions. And, you know, that meant sometimes that was about a 10, 12 hour time wow. for her to come in from the city and then get there and then wait. And then your infusions can be five hours. I mean, it's a, it's it's the whole day and night. But what she would say to me was, okay, you need to find someone when I'm not available. You need to find that person who's going to come in for me. And and that gave me a great idea. And then my other daughter said the same thing. She goes, I can help you with this, but you need to find someone. I'll help you with your finances. You need to find someone who's going to do this, 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 and this. And I think that what what I was taught right away was you guys had actual tasks that they asked their friends to help them with. So it was yeah. more like, okay, I can't do that, but this is going to be your task. And that's going to be your task. Great point. It's a great point. Yeah. Um, so humor is very important, right? You, Absolutely. You, you did things like wig parties, explain that and other yeah. ways that uh, you just keep the uh, atmosphere light. Best thing. The, the wig party was awesome. So uh, obviously going through cancer is a very expensive experience. Uh, you know, we, we were complaining about health insurance earlier and uh, they deserve all the flack they get, uh, but they don't cover important things. So like wigs, I think your insurance was going to cover two of them. Yeah. And two wigs lasts at most four months. We, like you know what? Like, everyone's different. I was determined to look good every day. Thanks to my caregivers insisting on it. So I wore them. And by the way, one of my dear friends, one of the first times she put on a wig, she wasn't thinking about it. She opened up the oven door and it her wig caught on fire. So, you know, you just, it, the insurance cover, coverage, I mean, they never think about, oh, wait, real life experiences. Right. What do people need? And then also like and, catheters. So she had to catheterize uh, because, you know, she had a tremendous so amount of work done in her bowels. And uh, the insurance co company covered four catheters a day. My insurance company covered four a day. Now Which, try that with UTIs from your ostomy and after chemo sessions. Right. So I just, there's so much out of pocket expenses. So so right. What we did was uh, my sisters and I we went to a bunch of uh, local salons and borrowed wigs from them and had mom try all of them on and took pictures of her in them. And then we got, uh, we threw a party where we had all of her friends and, you know, family and stuff like that. And caregivers. And yeah, uh, all, all the caregivers. We, we got together, which uh, first off was a great way for all of us to, you know, reconnect, um, make us feel like we were, you know, part of a, a larger, you know, a larger cause. I, I think that's something to rewind, rewind really quick. Um, People love to feel helpful, right? Like, like everyone needs a purpose in life, and and if you can make them feel helpful, then you know, not not everyone's going to have time. You know, back to caregivers asking for help. Not everyone's going to have time to help you, but everyone wants to help you, especially if they're your friend. Every friend of yours wants to help you, and and if you just like realize that, like whenever whenever someone asks you to help, you don't feel like they're giving you a burden, right? You, you feel like they're giving you a purpose. Right. And, and I, th I think people forget that when it comes time for them to ask others for help, how they feel when others ask them for help. So that that's, anyway, fast forwarding back to the wig party. Um, 
we got all these people together who have this purpose of helping my beautiful mother here, uh, you know, recover from her awful surgeries and everything and, and chemo and everything like that. And uh, we got them together and had all these pictures of mom and wigs. Uh, she was supposed to attend, unfortunately, a last second infection kept her in the hospital, uh, which was a, a classic trope of, of her, uh, of her cancer. Cool. Um, and uh, we had them like vote, like throw in $1 bills into like whichever like picture that they wanted and vote for the wigs that we would end up getting from um Like people were voting on what look they wanted her to have, you know, <laughs> if they wanted her to be a redhead or a blonde or brunette or have a <laughs> rainbow colored, you know, whatever. Uh... So which one won? Yeah. Which one did win? Um, it was actually a nice short. Um... Bob. Bob. Yeah, yeah, it was. And what was fun for me, what though, is it? Um, it was in between. It was like a a, a, a reddish tone. Yeah, it wasn't the it, it wasn't the the all I liked it, but you didn't apparently. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just the opposite. What was so much fun as I was moving on to say, I actually wore it when I wore it. It was the most it was in itself healing. I mean, it just yeah. brought back the most incredible memories. Yeah. I was so sad when I had to throw it away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'd used Decent. it too much. It, it's actually, um, what I found out afterwards is everyone found humor in the whole thing of like, they yeah. got to decide what wigs I would yeah. buy. They didn't see it at all as a, you know, oh, we're going to give mom or a friend of ours, or it was a huge group you know, towards Nancy's, you know, care, it was more that the caregivers, I think they told me later, um, they felt immobilized. They went, they felt yeah. empowered together. Like you're saying, I think that it gave them more strength because they had a lot more giving they had to do after that. I, I, I struggled <laughs> a lot. Yeah, well, you, you guys had a, a marathon with me. Yeah. I can't believe how fast our time is going today. I do want to ask about the book. What did you uh think about that made you write the book and what do you hope to accomplish and what do you hope people can will get out of it thank you so much i wrote this book not how i survived or endured but how the lessons that i learned from my caregivers and through the cancer journey and how i believe that the lessons if i had not done and learn the lessons I learned from my caregivers, I definitely would not have survived. And we're trying to, and I'd love you to jump into, is we're hoping to make any journey for the patient, a survivor, a caregiver, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more empowered. And yes, I hate to say it, a little bit more fun, because that's what I will say that I feel like I was the luckiest. And I mean, I st I was given a a lifespan chance of of surviving five months after my metastatic brain diagnosis, and I'm five years, and I could die tomorrow, and I recognize that because of seizures and such. But they've made me enjoy every moment of my journey, as horrific as it was, and they really did bring in fun and laughter. And I hope everyone will, it's a very short book, we'll read it. And uh, it's also so much from the caregiver's point of view. Awesome. I think it gives great ideas for the caregiver, for any caregiver. Yeah, I. Wow. Th this book, uh, it's evolved a lot since we started it. So what it started as, I think, was 
mostly just trying to like tell her story. You know, she's met a lot of people in the past five years uh, and she's a real chatterbox, as you can tell. And people love hearing her story. And so many people have said like, oh my goodness, you have to write a book. And eventually it just became okay. Like, well then we may as well. Um, I'd been in my career in finance for a decade, uh, you know, as a trader hedge fund, and I was uh, no longer particularly uh, inspired by what I was doing and and wanted to give back. And so I thought, like, I'll help her write this. We can we can tell her story together and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be cathartic for her. And I, it absolutely has been uh, for both of us. But over time, it's it, it has evolved uh, from just her story into like the lessons that she learned, the lessons that all of us caregivers taught her and uh, the lessons I learned as a caregiver for her and, and that my sisters learned as well. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think it, you know, it, like she said, it, it is a pretty quick read. It's like our word document, something like 70 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And how and, can people get a hold of that book and how can they get a hold of you if they want to talk yeah, to you or ask absolutely. questions? Uh, our website is becoming the best you.com. That's the letter U becoming the best you. And the book is uh, Becoming the Best You While Watching Your Life Go Down the Drain. The Lessons <laughs> Cancer Taught Me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to be out in just a few weeks. So we look forward to. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah. It's been a joy Can't having answer. both of you on. You're both so lovable and cute. And so, um, <laughs> you thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And I want to thank uh, all my uh, listeners for tuning in every Wednesday out there. And for making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 